All right, we've got to make sure we're six feet, right? Here we go. <laughs> I think that's six feet. Is that six feet? Yeah, there we go. Exactly. Yeah. Could well, probably lay down between us on a good day. I'm six feet, so that's about right. That's right. If I fall down, I won't hit you, so I think we're okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, I want to extend another uh, good morning and a good Monday morning to everyone. Uh, we could add this morning uh, to the long list of things that have not gone as planned in 2020, right? <laughs> so I got a phone call yesterday from... Uh, um, from Night Hall staff about the lighting system going down over the weekend. And they don't you know what You texted me in a panic about this deal. Yes, and I texted did. you in Said panic, it. but yes. I actually I realized this morning the reason why is because uh, apparently you had made a bunch of extravagant demands about <laughs> you know, your lighting requirements to accommodate your presence on As the stage. As I want to do. And it just yes. pff, fried yeah, the no, system. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so anyway, you have Peter Kapsner to thank for the reason why no students it can be indeed. in Night Hall this morning. No. <laughs> no, it is indeed. Just well, kidding. Yes, I know that you had at least three or four other chapel speakers lined up for today, so I know you're dredging the bottom of the barrel right now. The water yeah. boy is here this morning with you, so option, I appreciate option that. Option D. Yeah, option, option D. D. Yeah, That's plan D. We're on plan D for this morning. So Indeed. Um, but <laughs> all the kidding aside, no, we uh super grateful um, to have to have Dr. Kapsner, and I know many of you students um, know him, have had class with him, and um, he's become a dear friend uh, of mine over these last uh, few years, and it's um, we, we often engage in a lot in different conversations regarding God's kingdom and uh, the, the tension and the beauty and the opportunity of yeah. what it means to be a kingdom citizen. And, um, and you know, Peter, um, you know, our journey in chapel so far um, this, this fall and really this whole year is talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, um, and what we wanted to talk about this morning um, and what we planned on to really kind of continue a discussion this morning on the kingdom is how do we... How do we apply that uh, specifically to uh, this current uh, polarized, politicized, racialized landscape that we're living That's in? That's what we're talking about this morning? Yeah. That seems you a little dicey, uh, <laughs> Justin. <laughs> well, we like to keep things real here, right? Yeah, good. No, okay. We don't want to sugarcoat anything. So, um, no, but we, we've talked about this, this reality that as Christians, we, we have this dual citizenship, right? Right. So right. on one hand, we're a citizen of, of heavens, and then we're also a citizen of earth. So one aspect of our citizenship is, is heavenly, it's eternal, and it really demands our ultimate allegiance, right? Right. But the other aspect is that it's earthly, it's temporary, but yet it demands our participation. And Sometimes yes. Christians can kind of lean in too heavily to one side or the other. They can lean into their heavenly citizenship right. and, and kind of use it as a scapegoat to kind of like pull away and just kind of live in a bubble. Um, or they can lean into their earthly citizenship and they end up burning out because they're trying to labor and, and work for change in society in their own strength. Yeah. And I, I know your background with, um, you know, in practical theology and doing your PhD work in that, of really trying to close that gap between, For sure. you know, our, our right belief and our right living. And I, I think it's no surprise, right, as we look around um, not only our current fall, but across history, one of the areas Christians seem to have struggled the most is how to live out that dual citizenship within the realm of the public square. Yeah. And, in, and particularly in the realm of, in, in politics and what political engagement looks like. So um, I'd love to just start, why has that been so hard historically for Christians? And what have been some of like maybe the different ways that Christians have tried to uh, really live into that tension in, yeah. a, in a biblically faithful way? 
Yeah, you know, and, and I appreciate the way that you've set up the paradigm for this, Justin, because I think um, that idea of dual citizenship where our primary and actually only true allegiance is to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven that are then participating in this realm of earth. But as you said, if we're just look at ourselves as heavenly citizens, then we're liable to just sort of get out of dodge and escape the whole thing. Or too often, I would suggest that we understand the kingdom on the flip side of it through the lens of earthly political systems or other systems. And we sort of superimpose ideas from our culture onto the kingdom and assume that they're one and the same. And they clearly are not. So I think one of the reasons why this is such a difficult question is because uh, kingdom life is always a life that is about power under, and, and it pulsates with love. And if I can just give a quick definition of love insofar as I understand it, um, love would be sort of this tender-hearted affection that is always pursuing, and is pursuing so that the other would be whole according to the principles of the kingdom. So it's this tender-hearted affection, like when I see you, I actually like you. I enjoy your company. I care about you. It isn't through the lens of pretend or a Christian fraud. It really is. I, I, my, my natural and supernatural response is I have a, an affection for you that will keep pursuing your wholeness as defined by whatever the kingdom metrics are, right? So that's life in God's kingdom is defined and, and pulsates with that love. Life in the kingdoms of this world is almost always about um, power and what I can gain. It isn't about your wholeness. It's about my wholeness. And, and I think that leads to this crazy tension so often that in the political sphere, it, it's almost always this place of what do I need to do to have my political platform win the day? And, and I need to engage in certain ways so that I can win votes or that I can gain power or whatever. So it's always about me gaining power and my own perceived sense of wholeness that will come with that power. So I think that's why it makes it difficult, right? I mean, just to kind of answer that part of your question is these two kingdoms are working fundamentally differently in terms of their approach to life. Now, the second part of your question is then how do we as Christians engage, right, with the kingdoms of this world? And, you know... I think sometimes Christians uh, divide needlessly around topics like this. I mean, we're so dumb sometimes, right? I mean, on what we decide to divide <laughs> over. Um, and wh what I would say is that to answer the question of how do we as kingdom citizens engage or participate in the kingdoms of this world, we have to use sort of the lens of what I would call derived theology, meaning that the scriptures are relatively unclear, if not entirely silent about this is how you should engage with politics, or this is how you should engage with the kingdoms of this world. And so we sort of have to derive some different possibilities about engagement that are not going to be dogmatic possibilities. They are probably how you're wired, what your sense of call is, um, what you care deeply about, stuff like that. So just four quick ones we could, we could mention when we look back at the lens of history and how Christians have engaged with culture over these 2,000 years, you, you have what I would call sort of the Pharisee approach. The Pharisees were some of the religious leaders of Jesus's day. Their name, Pharisee, literally means to separate from. And, and the Pharisees stayed engaged in the world around them. They didn't like, you know, move out of town, like we'll talk about in just a minute. But the Pharisees stayed engaged, but they stayed separate from, and they tried to live by a different set of principles while they were engaged in the world. And so that could be like a teacher today, that has to deal with maybe state-mandated curriculum around sexuality or around evolution or some things that we might have questions about in our Christian community, they will stay within all of that, 
but they might then have conversations after class with students, or they might bring in other ways to think about it. It's kind of that sort of sneak in some things, right, from the perspective of the kingdom. So that'd be one way is to be involved, but sort of separate from somehow. The Sadducees were the other religious leaders of Jesus's day, and they tried to work in cooperation with political leaders and government at that time. So that might be akin to like a social worker who is trying to work economically to develop some things on behalf of the people, or a business owner who's working with the government. You know, as a Christian perspective, you can kind of try to figure out where are our points of agreement between the kingdom and the political sphere, and how can we work together towards a common good? So you have sort of the separate out, I will kind of subvert, but I'll still live within. You have, we will work together. Uh, the third approach might be that of the Essen, Essene community, which that's the one I sympathize with the most. Uh, the Essenes just, they Me really, too. yeah, I mean, they really were just get out of Dodge. We're going to go live in caves. We're going to have an entirely different uh, way of life. And we're going to do so intentionally because we want to preserve the kingdom way of life in as pure of a form as possible for the generations to come. So I was Googling this last weekend, you know, large plots of acreage in South Dakota on Zillow, right? Because this is what, this is what I sympathize with. And I found 500 acres in the Black Hills. I don't know how to hunt. I don't know how to fish. I don't know how to trap. I don't know how to dig a well. Like, I, I would last about a week. We could learn. We right, could we learn could learn. YouTube and it had videos. an abandoned, yeah. you know, mine. And it was like this good. But that was sort of, I'm going to take my five kids. We're going to get out of Dodge and just live a different way. And that is very appropriate. I mean, the, the Essenes were the ones who held the Dead Sea Scrolls in, in their sort of collection to preserve for generations to come. The last one would be the zealot community, people who antagonistically do protest against the existing government. The zealots of Jesus' day actually assassinated government officials, so we're not at all suggesting anything akin to that, but it is that active protest. It is that active, um, we specifically are going to say things that the government is doing wrong that are, is immoral. And, and I guess at the end of the day, Justin, going back to what we were just talking about, all of those ranges of responses can be appropriate for Christians, depending on calling, depending on passion, depending on uh, what you sense God is inviting you to do. And I think the invitation we have as believers is not to make those methods almost idols of ways to do it and say, you know, if you're not engaged, you're wrong. I mean, we hear this kind of stuff, right? And, um, but different levels of engagement, can we all stay bonded together underneath the banner of God's kingdom and in the citizenship that we live within under this banner of, of love and shalom for other people, regardless then of how we engage? And I think that's the big challenge that we don't divide according to the method of engagement. We stay united by the reality of the kingdom in the midst of it. I think that's really important to, to consider the diversity of ways that we can engage with a kingdom mindset and still be faithful to God's kingdom, even though it looks different, you know, because right. the reality is the Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, and Essenes all thought that they're, they were being faithful to God's kingdom mandate, right? And, and they were. And they, they were in a way, were, yeah. right? And I think yeah. there's a, you know, I think one person summed it up this way, the Pharisees their, their, their response was to go back. Let's go back to the traditions, back to the glory days. And for sure. we got to kind of get back to the way things once were. The Sadducees says, let's go with. Kind of whoever's in power, we're just going to come alongside. Yep. You know, the zealots said, um, we're going to go against, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. to Again, the we're extreme. not advocating for the way that not, they did that. Right, yes, not for the yeah. way. And, and then the Essenes, you know, and I emphasize, empathize with this, this idea of, you know, of go, go away. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just want to be done with all this and I want to withdraw and kind of self-isolate. But that idea of, you know, going back, going with, 
going against and kind of this go, drawing back and kind of separating yourself from, yeah. all four of those approaches do have legitimate applications in the kingdom. They do. It's why it's so important that we stay within the lens of derived theology, like I said, where we, we have to sort of tease out what are some possible applications for what it means to be life in the kingdom. The, the command is that our citizenship is of heaven, but then we have to derive certain methods. And that is the point where either we can really be powerful as salt and light together. I mean, if you can imagine a community of 100 people, 25 of which fell into all of those categories, but they're all united together. I, now you're talking about true salt and light and kingdom authority in a variety of ways. But as soon as we start dividing over the method and saying this method is better than that method, now we're infighting and now we're being dumb. Like, again, it can happen when we divide over dumb things all the time. So, yes. <laughs> That's a very theological word, dumb. By dumb, the way. I, dumb. I looked that up. Yeah, you in, in the Greek, it actually says dumb. Could you too, parse that out? Yeah, okay. yeah. No, no. Yeah. And in the Hebrew, it's dumb. Yes. So, all, all of the above. <laughs> and in yes. English, it's dumb. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's still dumb. In Spanish, it's probably still dumb. Okay. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but I think, so, you know, you outlined four different approaches, but I think what's difficult you know, in, in our conversations we've talked and, and, and you know, even conversations that we, we've had in chapel and I've, I've had with students on campus is that, you know, it seems like we don't have four options anymore. Now we only have two, right? Yeah. And there's kind of this, you know, some, um, you know, sociologists or even like kind of political theologians or have a, you know, theology, public policy kind of call this this idea of an, of an ideological constraint Yeah. that I think we feel like we have to fit in this either or, you know, uh, paradigm. It's this or that, it's us or them, right? And, you know, I, I really been in, uh, compelled by some of the, in recent years, even since going back to the 2016 election and even some of his writings now of, of Tim Keller, who, yeah, you know, he's has, great. He's has some really you great know, brilliant, brilliant mind. Definitely yeah. not someone who is dumb. Right. Like you right. and I, yeah, some, but, um, or at least myself. But, you know, he, he wrote an article a number of years ago, you know, how does, how does Christianity fit into a bipartisan, you know, government? And he's like, it doesn't. And, and, and even went beyond that, and, I've, you know, I've shared this before, is that, you know, he did kind of a survey of Scripture and looked at just what are the underlying ethical issues that seem to surface time and time again. And he, and he outlined four of them. Yeah. And uh, one was, um, was racial justice. Two was par- poverty and, mar- and marginalization. Yep. How do we deal with the other? Um, number, number three um, was sanctity of life. And number four was sexual purity or fidelity. Yeah. Now, if you look at those, it's like, hold on. Okay. So two of those seem to align with more of what we would consider kind of a, you know, a leftist or liberal agenda, agenda and the others would uh, adhere to more of, a, more of a right or conservative but the Bible doesn't just pick and choose. It's this, there's this power of the, of the and, of the both and. But yet, we feel constrained we do. to think that we, have to, if we, that we have to have a wholehearted allegiance to one party or the other, um, I think. And, and, or even if we don't feel that, if we vote one way or the other, or if we say anything about this candidate or that candidate, or even now post-election about what Trump's doing, what Biden's doing, <laughs> right? Then yeah. all of a sudden, somebody else is going to say, oh, Boom, they're going to jump to conclusion and think that you're wholesale a Democrat. You're wholesale a Republican. Right. When we need to be wholesale kingdom dwellers. Right. You know, kingdom right. citizens that engage with in both spheres. So as we look at the, the post-election continued debate, continued division, continued conflict and unsettledness. I mean, there's not a resolution yet. And right. we're 65 days to the inauguration. <laughs> yeah, and, and let's just maybe suggest there's not going to be a resolution even after that, right? And, even, and, and, and what we're experiencing yeah, right now. And, yeah. and I think that division 
I mean, we're in the midst of a global health pandemic still, right? Obviously. And, you know, there's, there's huge ramifications to that, that division. But what's so difficult is, is it not true that it seems like sometimes the church seems to reflect that culture of division rather than step into it as agents of peace. So (laughs) what are the, what are some of the things that, as you think about that, how do we address that, that division as we step into the public square, as we step into conversations, as we even prepare to go home for Thanksgiving (laughs) and maybe step into some difficult conversations there? Yeah. Boy, yeah, that's a big question, isn't it? And, and um, I mean, first of all, social media is an awesome place to bring us all together, right? I mean, it doesn't divide us. It doesn't send us into the echo chambers of our own, you know, predis- predisposed camps, all of that kind of no, stuff. That's, so. where I, that's where I grow on how to become a... Uh, yeah. No, not at all. Okay. Yeah, and the news is so entirely helpful. I remember when I had the opportunity as a media member uh, to attend um, a rally just as an observer uh, when President Trump came to town in Minneapolis pre-COVID. And, and I was fascinated because I had a chance to sit next to both Jim Acosta of CNN, as well as, I mean, I can't remember her name, the Fox News correspondent at the time, but, but they're watching the same event, right? But if you were to, to, to watch their coverage of that event, you would see something entirely different. One would totally demonize Trump, and the other would, you know, make it seem like Trump is, should belong on Mount Rushmore. And so both sides of this, when they're streaming through, they already are uh, creating camps among us. And, and it was fascinating to watch them off the air because they would have been bitter enemies with their on-air coverage. But off the air, they were great friends. And it just sort of woke me up to say, things like social media and be, being discipled by social media or being discipled by the news. I mean, when you look again at the numbers of how many people were watching Fox News and MSNBC and CNN and all of these different organizations, dare I say we're being discipled by our own echo chambers within social media and our friends, or we're being discipled by the newsmakers. And so we lose sense of maybe of what is the, the call that we're invited to as kingdom dwellers. And so to, and it never gets quieter in my class than when I suggest I'm not a Republican, right? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, you must be a Democrat. You're going straight to purgatory, you know, wherever, you know, uh, <laughs> lots of different places. We don't believe in purgatory here. Yeah, we, no, I'm just kidding. All we right. could send you yeah. to lots of different places, but then, then I'll say something to the effect of, but I'm not a Democrat either, you know, right? Which then it, it invites this conversation to say, oh, wait a second, maybe I have blended my sense of identity with my kingdom citizenship, as opposed to being a kingdom dweller who might interact within the Republican Party or a kingdom dweller who might interact within the Democratic Party, um, as soon as I can extract myself from those allegiances, and dare I say, uh, Justin, one more thing about this, um, is that sometimes we'll talk about, uh, I'm not an American. Now, that does not mean, because immediately it's like, well, you must hate America. You know, go to Canada, then get out of here. And of course, that's not what we're saying. I actually love our country. But I also have had the privilege of traveling around the world and, li- and living in different countries, too. And it, and it caused this kind of dissonance in me to say, well, wait a second. I really like the ways of life in Scotland, where I've lived for an extended period of time. But I also like the ways of life in America. Does that, I was born on soil that somebody either purchased or went to war for and called it America some 250 years ago. But um, do I have a different citizenship beyond all of that? And, and so it then is the same question, how do I as a kingdom dweller interface within the country that I love called America? And even as I stood on the shores of Normandy at one point and wept over the soldiers, just when you say those comments that I'm not an American, doesn't mean that I don't love our country. 
and doesn't mean that I don't weep over the sacrifice of those who have allowed the freedoms that we share. It just is this kind of discipline to say, but I'm still anchored in something eternal. There's only one eternal kingdom. And so in saying that, then I have to ask myself the question, by what rules do I play when I do engage? And I'm going to just go back to something we started with here at chapel. The primary rule of God's kingdom. Again, what God's kingdom pulsates with is the rule of love. And that is, unfortunately, I I hate to say it out loud because it's such a tired, cliched old word, except that it isn't at all. And so if we're going to engage with one another and get out of the echo chambers of the Twitter sphere and the news media and being discipled by that and actually be discipled by, dare we say, Jesus of all people, right? Like we're Christians, right? So maybe we're disciples of him. We might need to take very seriously when he says something to the effect of, so, okay, um, love your enemies, for example. Love those who actually do have their hand against you. And what does that mean to say, okay, even though you have your hand against me, um, I actually will move towards you in a way that I will maintain a tender-hearted affection for you that will keep pressing this direction, and I will care about your wholeness above my own. And I'll tell you what, man, I think that is almost impossible to do effectively in political engagement where it is going back to what we said. What is this about me? So when, when I think about people that have understandable and justifiable issues about um, unequal treatment or unequal treatment, it's true. I mean, it's verifiable, right? I mean, things like racism obviously exist. As things like sexism uh, obviously exist. There is the marginalized. There is the least and the lost. But if we take a power over approach of demanding, you must make this just for me, like justice for me, that is social justice, American version. Kingdom justice will pursue maybe those same things, but it does it through the platform of saying, um, we need to be reconciled as brothers and sisters in the context of love, both vertically and, and horizontally with God, because you can create a totally fair society, Justin, like everything's fair, and you could still hate one another. And, and that's where I would suggest in the tension of the political sphere and trying to create a fair society, nobody's asking the question, but do we love one another? And, and if we don't go beyond fairness and into actual reconciliation of relationships, we will always stay in a version of social justice, America, hashtag America, as opposed to kingdom justice, hashtag what Jesus was inviting us into. Because if you actually follow his life, He was a profound victim of injustice on every level, and yet he took the blows and in so doing was creating shalom for everybody around him. I think, honestly, our our most current example, even though he has passed in the 60s, Martin Luther King Jr. understood this stuff on profound levels. And when you read his writing, it really does stand apart from the versions of it today that are a power over version and a demand version, and I must have. Both of them are dealing with fairness, but... Martin Luther King was always about reconciliation, the deeper level of the kingdom, whereas today it's about fairness and I've got to get mine uh, in, in the midst of that. These are hard things to talk about, are they not? Especially as a, you know, a white person who I haven't, I have some of my dearest friends within the African-American community begin to tell me what their daily life is like. And if you don't start having a heart that breaks towards that, uh, wow, right? I mean, it, but that brokenheartedness, you still have to go to that place of reconciliation, of relationship, not just fairness. And fairness does not mean reconciliation, and we got to get out of that mindset. Wow. No, that's so, that's so helpful, because I think that that's teasing out this, 
this idea of the both and. Yeah. Right. And, and I think and just that, Yeah. One more comment on this just really quickly, yeah. if you don't mind. I, I was with a whole church group in a texting thread and we were talking about it. And I said, if you at the same time simultaneously cannot long for the wholeness of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and President Trump, like if you can't long for the wholeness of both of them with a tenderhearted affection, you have no idea what the kingdom is about. None. None whatsoever. You have to be able to hold both and simultaneously. Well, I can't do that. I, right? right? I mean, that's, this is why it's a supernatural that's thing. That's why that this does. is, it yeah. takes the spirit of God. It and, does. and that's why the, I think when we look at, you know, the divided landscape that we, that we dwell in and will continue to dwell in, um, you know, the, there, there's a recent uh, study that came out that, that kind of uncovered America's tribalism and, and divided tribes politically. And, and it, was, it was amazing that only about you know, 15% of America's population are the ones that are steeply engaged yeah. in, in these conversations. And about, you know, I think it's about 6 or 7%, you know, would be the far, far progressive left. And the other, the other remaining would be about the, you know, the far, far progressive right. We cannot let, as Christians, allow that division no. define our community. Rather, we need to uncover or recover our prophetic voice. Yes. That, and, and, and I think I, I've been really compelled recently as well about um, some, someone who's done some excellent work on this, um, not only because he has the same name, so I feel affinity to him, but his name is Justin Gibney. So he's a. He's an author. I've had a chance to interview him a ton of different times. On okay, the Face so you, Radio yeah. He's a great guy. And, and he, along yeah. with a, a few others, um, you know, have really uh, have sought to equip the church to recover that prophetic voice in the, within the public square. And uh, if you're listening, I mean, go to the andcampaign.com, andcampaign.com, and there's a subset of that called the crux and the call. And this is this idea of the it's the both and that it, that it's it's moral order and social justice. It's right. pro life and pro woman. It's right. pro national security and pro immigrant. Uh, you know, so we we try to do this either or. But I think to live in the tension in the middle to get. And maybe here I'll offer some things, and I want to hear from you, Peter, just some practical yeah, yeah. things, you know, even as we're wrapping up this conversation as it's going oh, quick I know. already. so fast. Yes. And, uh, and hopefully you're still awake if you're listening, you know. So we're kind of <laughs> like, hello, yes. hello. Okay. We still got we still uh, got a few minutes. I'll use the word dumb again a couple more dumb times. Again. It usually wakes us up. Yeah. By the way, the spotlight looks so wonderful. It's so wonderfully reflecting off head. of your head. I mean, yeah. honestly. Yeah, I mean. It's, it's talk about salt and light. It's, it's right? a bit of the salt and glory. The, yeah, yeah. It, okay. it, it is. Anyway. Um. I think what I'm hearing you say too, and what we've you know alluded to some historical figures like Martin Luther King, um, who, you know, I think sometimes even in the, I'll, I'll be honest, in the white community, we kind of use him as right. a way to, uh, how would I put it? Basically, uh, validate. Well, you can, you my, can virtual, virtue uh, signal. Virtue signal by, by virtue signal, or even validate so, my lack of engagement. Totally. Thinking, oh, well, Martin Luther King wouldn't protest. I'm pretty sure you did a lot uh, of that. I would right? say just a little bit. Has anybody like read his life? <laughs> right. You know? yeah. yeah. So, but yet as a peace as a peacemaker, um, you got proximate, and so I would encourage you as a student, and, and this is something again that I'm I'm not saying go do this because I've done that I've done this perfectly, but as I'm learning is find someone who you would consider on the other side. Yeah. And first of all, ask the Lord to to break down those, those divisions, because I've learned that you can't be, um, if you get proximate and you get prayerful, I got to literize these, right? Yeah, Cause yeah, I, totally I went do. to seminary yeah. and got yeah. a, that's, and they got a three with the alliteration allergy yeah, for sure. See yeah. how even those are literized. Never mind. Anyway, um, 
But if you get proximity, you get close, but you get peripheral because it's hard to be an intercessor and a critic at the same time. Yeah. And, and, and if I can actually step into the pain and, into the, and understand the why behind the conviction of another brother or sister. Unbelievably important. We should be able to find common ground with, between our shared Christian values. Yeah. Whether you're on this political side of that or on that side, or whether you're in the confused majority middle that feels politically homeless, which, by the way, I think that's, that's not a bad thing to feel politically right. homeless, but yet we still need to be actively engaged. So I would say that idea yep. of getting proximate to those that don't think, don't look, don't act, don't speak, don't smell, don't eat, don't yep. speak, you know, speak differently than you, um, and then really enter into prayer. Be, be praying for our president-elect Biden. For and, sure. And Kamala Harris. Be, be praying for our current President Trump and Vice President yep. Pence. Um, how many of us could actually say that we actually spend actual, intentional, sincere moments on a regular basis praying for our right. national leaders? Because what I found is when I do that, they, they don't necessarily change, but I begin to change. That's exactly right. My perspective begins to change. Now, it may result in partnering with God's work in doing the work that only the Holy Spirit can do, which is to change at the heart level. Right. I think it will. I think it's investing in God's kingdom agenda that, yeah. by the way, that's going <laughs> to that's gonna rule in a reign. That, that, that has no beginning and no end. That doesn't, all kingdoms rise and fall, but God's kingdom remains forever. But, yeah. but it does change me. So I think uh, to get proximate and get prayerful as we head into this, if, as we continue into this political post-election you know, divide. Right. And, and I think it's so important, Justin, to know that we're not, the invitation here is not to become a political moderate. The invitation is to continue to engage as a kingdom person, recognizing both the strengths and the weaknesses of each political platform, and that to get to the extreme really is a bad version of that. But even within the moderacy of politics, it still is not going to be a one-to-one -one relationship with kingdom life. And so to be praying for our people uh, and our leaders, I think, is very uh, helpful, too. But then to, to regain a prophetic voice... If I was to answer that question again as simply as possible, uh, it is to step back out and think about how do we do our lives together with our various passions, interests, allegiances to things in this world, all of that. And this is where, you know, the idea uh, of um, modeling true love in our relationships for one another, where I actually care about your wellness and care about your wholeness and well-being, according to the kingdom, ahead of my own, that, that an administration would um, care deeply about the wholeness and the needs and the desires of the students, which I think we, I can say that's part of why I'm here. I wouldn't be here if I didn't sense that that was the, the basic vibe of our place. And for our students to care about the administration and to care about one another and that we're working together towards wholeness, things like humility, um, things like other-centeredness, these sorts of things, that's life in God's kingdom. And it almost always is an upside-down life compared to the realities and values of this world. Um, but if we want to have a prophetic voice, we need to be modeling to the outside world that we're not dumb. Okay, right? I mean, just use that again, that very theological word, because the outside world looks at us and says, are you serious right now? I mean, look at how you are basically appropriating power conversations and you're appropriating um, your desire to get ahead and your voice must be heard, but it can happen from staff, it can happen from students, and it's all of this shaking fist. Um, it just isn't life in God's kingdom. Dare we ever become Christians, uh, actual disciples of Jesus and not disciples of our favorite authors, bloggers, news writers, and stuff like that, our, our life together might look fundamentally different uh, in all of this. Yeah, amen. And I, as we even draw this conversation to a close and before we conclude in prayer, just 
um, a couple of things that are happening this week, you know, before Thanksgiving break. So um, this week in chapel, tomorrow, um, as always on Tuesday, over in Naz Great Room, we have um, our Fresh Encounters Prayer Chapel. We just pray through a passage of scripture. Tomorrow we're praying through Psalm 10, um, but we're practically applying that to what's going on in our in our. In a, you know, in our realm of uh, our sphere of influence and our culture, our campus, our country. Um, and then Wednesday, um, Lord willing, we'll be back in here with lights on and students in the room. So I have the opportunity I'll be sharing about uh, four grace-empowered decisions that you can make over Thanksgiving break that'll transform your life. So Great. There's my little, there's my little hook. And so. you're not going to water boy, water boy me into this thing, right? I mean, right. You're not, you're not going to cancel and, and, and have me come in at the last second again. No, well, maybe we'll see. You're still plan D. So we'll see. <laughs> I love it. We I love you. To, I'll be your plan D anytime. Yeah. 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 Wednesday is actually like plan C. So you're close <laughs> behind. Okay. Good. Um, and, and then there's multiple uh, alternative chapels that are happening Thursday. And then we'll be back in this room for praise chapel on Friday. But I also want to mention tomorrow evening, there's a special, um, uh, community wide, a service of lament that's happening virtually um, uh, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. And really what this is about, it's lamenting. I love that you're doing this. It's lamenting the ways that we have not done this well. Yeah, that's part of that move into humility and at, at the end exactly. of the day, actually. Yeah. And so we need to recognize that. We need to own that. Um, and it enabled to step into really the opportunity that we do have as a community to truly be salt and light as, as God's kingdom dwellers. So, yeah. um, so in our final moment, Peter, would you, would you pray for us and I'd pray love for to. our students? That'd be great. Right. Thanks, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. God, uh, the, the work we're called to do that we talked about uh, a bit today, which is to truly care uh, in a tenderhearted way for the wholeness of other people ahead of one's own. I, we, none of us can generate that on our own. Um, we love because you first loved us. And so uh, anchor our community in, in the other-centered shalom that you bring, that just your, your, your kingdom pulsates with, that we might be salt and light in a prophetic voice from that standpoint. Uh, independent of being right about all things, let us uh, learn to love in the midst of all things. And we ask that your spirit would do that work among us. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in. God bless and have a great rest yeah. of the day.